0: This, this week and last week, um, we're talking about just this two-week series called Reach One about the mission of Jesus becoming our mission as a church, but your mission and my mission as people in the church. And we showed, if you weren't here, Megan's story sort of part one last week. So if you weren't here last Sunday, I'd strongly encourage you um, uh, today, tomorrow, this week, just to go on our, online and watch the beginning of the sermon, you'll see her story, and this week is part two, and the focus of part two of her story is seeing some of the people who actually were part of her coming to the tent service, so to speak, uh, last summer, but who played a part in her coming to know Christ as her Savior, because that's really what this is really all about, as I said. What does it mean for you and me um, in our everyday lives, right here in our community, to own the mission of Jesus and to live out the mission of Jesus. The, the Bible uses this term, you're, many of you would be familiar with it, called the body of Christ, right? That's, a, that's an image of talking about what the church is, and it means two things at least, Primarily, fundamentally, when you say the church is the body of Christ, one, it means that you and I, as members of a church or, or, or attenders of a church like this one, we experience or we are supposed to experience the love of God in practical ways through other people right that 's what it means you know love one another, bear with one another 's burdens you know in other words, we, we, we uh, serve one another, you know uh, uh, carry each other 's burdens and, 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 and speak the truth and love one to another, etc et etc cetera, et cetera. we Experience God's love, or we're supposed to, through the community with other people. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. The other thing that it means is that as Christians, we are an extension of the Person of Jesus uh, to love people in the world, lost people, people who are spiritually lost and far from God. We are the body of Christ. We are the the Person of Jesus. In the world, sharing the message of the gospel with the people around us who don't know him. Okay? So that's really what the focus of last week and this week has been about. Now that is true in the far off places in the world when we typically think of missions. Last Sunday, if you were here, we commissioned a team of people to go to India and to work within a, in a camp, kind of like a camp environment, a summer camp environment where girls who are caught in the sex trafficking industry in that country are going to have a week uh, 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 working with people and, um, who know Christ and having a good experience and, and have the gospel be shared with them. We're doing that, I uh, here to tell you, one of the things I heard just last, late last night, the team landed in Chennai, they're on their way, okay? We share, we're gonna uh, send a group of students and their leaders two weeks from today to go work in the rural parts of West Virginia to be the body of Christ. We will commission another team Three weeks from today that we'll be going back to Peru, our partners in that part of South America. But it also means, as this story I think perfectly illustrates for us, that you and I are called to do that right here where we live, right? In the places where you go to work tomorrow or where you uh, raise your family tomorrow or where you live or where you shop or where you play or where you, you know, shop, whatever the case may be, we are called to bring the message of the gospel um, wherever it is that there are people around us who don't know him. In part of the world that is the closest to us, okay, right here where we live, is full of people, just like Megan, that is to say, people who are part of this community, and you might not know it if you don't talk to them, but they're far from God, and they do not know the grace of God and the forgiveness of Jesus. People who are young and old, married and single, black and white, rich and poor, been to church a lot and stopped going, have never been to church. Of all kinds, these people are around us and the challenge that I want to share with you last week and this week is, are you, am I, simply sharing this message with those people, being open to be used of God to help somebody experience the grace of God for the very first time? There's an organization, some of you would know it. They're a a demography, they study demographics in America, called the Barna Group. And they're in, in, in the West Coast. They've been doing this for 30 years. And their unique angle is to study the role of faith in America. And they've done many, many studies over 30 years, and they did one. It took many years to compile. It was finished in 2018, but it was just published within the last uh, two months. And it was, a st- it was a study on the most post-Christian cities in America, Right? Now you might think, what is post-Christian? What does that phrase even mean? But it is a term used in this kind of study in role of faith in America in, in spiritual demographics, so to speak. They say that we live, maybe, maybe this would be an odd phrase for some of us, in post-Christian uh, world today. That in most Western countries, even the good old US of A, it's post-Christian. That is to say, not that there's no Christians here but that, when it comes to how the organization, how, how our society is organized, what used to be built, let's say, on certain Christian values, on certain Christian ideas, on certain Christian assumptions, for, ma- for a majority of people, those assumptions and those ideas are no longer held to the degree that they once were, so they deem it post-Christian. Now, in this study... And this has been going on for years, this concept of post-Christian. But there were 16 criteria as they did this study with thousands of people um, over the last many years that concluded in 2018. To make the list, you had to have at least nine of the 16 criteria. Let me just give you the top uh, six of these just to give you a sense of what they're talking about. Number one, people would say they self-identified that they did not believe in God. Okay? Of any kind. They were non-believers. Second, they identified as either an atheist or an agnostic, which means we don't really know, but we're certainly not a part of any organized faith. Third, they believed that faith is not important in their lives, whatever kind of faith. They didn't think that faith, having a faith, was even important. Fourth, that the Bible was inaccurate, that the Bible could not be trusted as a source of authority um, about God. Fifth, they believed that Jesus committed sins, okay? And I guess I I wasn't a part of the study, but I guess the idea was they they did not embrace the idea that Jesus was the Son of God or God the Son, that he was sinless, central to um, his atoning work, as you know. And last, they had not attended a church In at least the last six months. Now, you might be surprised to know when I first got a hold of this study, before I read the detail, I thought, well, the the most post Christian cities in America. And I started making my own mental list of what those cities would be. Let me tell you which were not a part of, they were on the list, but they were not in the top 10 San Francisco was not in the top 10. The city of New York was not in the top 10. Chicago was not in the top 10. Los Angeles was not in the top 10, okay? The majority of those 10 cities in the top 10, if you snapped a circle from, let's say, a little east of Ohio down a little north of Washington, including all the way to Cape Cod, what we'd call the northeast corner Eight of those cities were all in the Northeast quarter and number eight on the list above San Francisco, above New York City, above Chicago was the city of Rochester, New York, okay? Rochester, New York. The needs that the gospel meets, that's what I wanna talk about briefly this morning. The needs that the gospel meets It's not just about where you're going when you die. Of course, the gospel does address that question. But it's the quality of life that you are living here today. That is to say, have you, has one, do they even know about the gospel? Do they even know that the gospel is about receiving the forgiveness of sins? That God loves people and that he sent his son to die for them? That, That the gospel actually has a material way to meet guilt and shame in our lives and give us hope and a purpose for life. The needs that the gospel meets I would say to you, are more acute in this community in the Penfield, Eastside, Rochester, Western New York are more acute in this community than they ever have been in the history of Browncroft Community Church, okay? Doesn't mean they were always needed but this data would suggest to me that the need for the gospel and what it can do in a life is more acute more needed, more relevant in this community than it has ever been in our church's history. The only question really here is, do I, right, I live here like you, do I want to be a part of what God is doing, right? I think God is at work in our city, in our suburbs. Do I want to be a part of what God is doing? Do I want to be, do you want to be a part of what God is doing Do we as a church want to be more a part of what God is doing in reaching lost people, spiritually lost people with the gospel? My brief message today, part two, is to talk about three simple ways that we can be intentional, you and I today, in our community, about sharing the gospel, being used of God with others. My passage is Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Short passage On this subject, follow along as I read these words from the Apostle Paul to this church. Chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, Paul speaking of he and his community of uh, leaders that he traveled with, that God may open a door for our message, gospel message, so that we might proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul's telling you about his own situation. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. So now he goes from him to them. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Three things, three simple ways that you and I can be intentional about Making the mission of Jesus your mission, me making it my mission. The first one is to pray for opportunities. Okay, three times he mentions that in this short passage. Uh, you know, devote yourselves to devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful. Be thankful. Right. Pray for us and pray for me that I might proclaim the gospel clearly. And now the first thing I, 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 that's I think worth pointing out is the irony of the Paul's request. His thrice uh, named request here that people pray for open doors to the message. Right, it's a metaphor, but I want to pray that the door would be open, that God would open a door in a manner of speaking with people around me to share the gospel. Paul says that when he also says, I'm sure he's being—I don't know—not not cute, but being um, making a point that he is in chains when he says this. Okay. So Paul's saying, listen, I want to, would you pray for me that I have open doors? But oh, by the way, I'm in prison. In fact, in a, in a, in a parallel letter, 2 Timothy, Paul will say this. Same, speaking of the same time when he was in jail for a couple years, right, for his faith. He was in jail. He said this, um, I want you to know, Timothy, that right now I am chained like an animal. That's what he said. I am chained like an animal. So he would not only was in prison, but he was apparently, um, you know, in stocks, so to speak. But he said, "But why did he say that? Is he just trying to, you know, make people feel sorry for him?" I don't think so. He said, "I'm chained like an animal." However, it's important that you know the word of God is not chained. That's what Paul said, right? So what's he saying here? He's saying, "Listen, I want you to pray for opportunities, but the point I want you to make is this: keep in mind that." I, I'm, I'm saying this while I'm in chains. And you might say, well, Paul, how can we possibly pray for opportunities when you are so restricted? He's saying, listen, that's the very point. Because the, the sharing the message of the gospel, seeing people experience God's grace, the miracle, in a manner of speaking, that Megan shared with us on that video, seeing people come from a place where they didn't understand God's grace, where they've received, let me tell you something, it's God's work it's God's doing. God has not called me. I don't have the ability to change somebody's life. I don't have the ability to change somebody's mind. I can't do that. I mean, the work of the church is not to change people's minds, right? That's, a, it's, that's our work. We're, not, we're, we're, we're miserable at it. We're not very good at changing people's minds about what they think. It's simply to put them in touch with, to point them to, to introduce them to in some way the message of God, the message of Jesus. He is the only one who can change somebody's life. He's the only one that can change somebody's mind. He's the only one that can offer forgiveness. And what this prayer is, right? Three times he mentions it. Why is prayer so important in in sharing our faith? It's important because it's motivated by the conviction. I don't know if this is true in your life, so think about it. It's motivated by the conviction that God is already involved with the people in your life, right? Do you and I believe that? See, sometimes we have this, I don't know what your worldview is, but the, 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 sometimes we think the worldview is that we're down here on earth, God's up there in heaven, and occasionally we try to get his attention, for things that we might need or even people that we care about, right? God help us and God please send me some help and some resources or maybe help out my friend, right? But that's not what the Bible says at all. The Bible doesn't say that we're down here on earth and God is up there in heaven. It says God is here everywhere present. Acts 17 says he is not far from every single one of us. He's as close as our very breath. God is everywhere present. He knows the hearts and minds of all the people around you. He is already active. Jesus said, listen, I always see what my father is doing, and he is at work until this very day. He's everywhere present. And what prayer does is that this kind of prayer is is motivated, right, by a conviction, not that I need God in my world, in my community, but that God is already there, and I'm saying, God, listen... Open a door, give me discernment, give me understanding so that I might know exactly where you are working in the lives of the people around me so that I can move in the direction where you are moving because not everybody around me is equally open to the message of the gospel. Look at Acts chapter 18 very quickly. Let me give you a perfect example of this spiritual truth. The, the Lord appears to the Apostle Paul, who's in the city of Corinth... In a city that, if you know those two letters in the New Testament, a city in, in, in modern Greece, or excuse me, ancient Greece, that um, was um, very a pagan and very resistant to the gospel and, and persecuted the Apostle Paul and attacked the Apostle Paul and was in, in, in many ways chased him out of the cities in North Greece. But the Lord comes to him with this interesting message Acts 18, verse 9 through 11. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid, right? Even the Apostle Paul was afraid. We talked about this last Sunday. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you. Now watch this. Because I have many people in the city. So Paul did what he was told, and he stayed there for a year and a half and taught them the word of God. But here's my point. What does it mean that God has many people in the city. I mean, why wouldn't he say, I love all the people of the city, right? Doesn't God love all people? I think he does love all people, then and now. But what he's saying is, listen, I have many people today whose hearts are open, I think was what he's saying. You don't see, Paul, what I see. You and I judge from the oxide, but God sees the heart. Remember that great uh, the story with David? Man looks on the outward, but God looks on the heart. He's saying, listen, I have many more people right now, despite the people throwing stones, despite the people being critical, despite the overwhelming opposition you might feel, and it's real, I want you to know the story behind the story, the reality behind which you can see, that there are many more people in this community where you are who are open And I want you to stay, and I want you to share the word of God, right? That's what prayer does for you. That's what prayer does for me. All of us are called, but we need to come and see ourselves as people who prayer becomes a way in which we become more dependent on God, we become more open to his leading so that we know who in our lives at this moment are open. I had this um, experience about two weeks ago, this guy who I have shared the gospel with um, I shouldn't even say the gospel. I've, I've, I've talked with him about the Bible, about faith, um, a number of uh, things about, let's say, it, I'm a pastor, he kind of has fun with me and asks me questions, but I would say over the five years that I've known him, we've probably had 50 conversations about the Bible or faith uh, in, in, in the gospel. Almost every one of those, 95%, he has initiated. I haven't initiated them. He comes up to me and he asks me questions. And um, a couple weeks ago, he, I saw him, he came up to me, I was in a public place, and he was on the phone and he walked right up close to me, you know, and I was just doing my thing. And then he, and then he hung up his phone call and he said, I was just talking to so-and-so, mutual friend of mine. And he said, who goes to your church? Okay. And he said, um, I got a question for you. And I go, okay, what is it? He's coming up to me. And he said, are you guys praying that I become a Christian? <laughs> and I said, you know, I mean, I tried to wait, for, I looked at him, I go, yeah, we are, actually, you know? And then he kind of laughed, smiled, I smiled, and I went, but here's what I thought about, okay? Um, we've both known this guy for years, this is my a friend of mine longer than me, but I thought, how many people, okay, are in my life today who know that I am a Christian, maybe they're even close to me in some way who may not believe what i believe they may not embrace the gospel at all but they know that i'm a christian and they have some sense of what i believe is the importance i wonder how many of them wonder without saying if this is what you believe the high stakes of the christian faith why don't you share with me right if the, if you really believe that was true why don't are you praying for me to be a christian saying i wonder and what prayer does for us, what prayer can do for you, what Paul is saying is, listen, only God knows the hearts of men and women and people, but pray. Paul, I have many more people in this city, and I want you to pray. And my prayer and your prayer is based, is motivated by a conviction that all I don't know who's interested in my world, God does. We need to pray for Open door. Second thing we need to do is invest in new relationships, and this is really the heart of this whole passage. Think about what is said and what isn't said in this passage. You know what does it mean? How is the Church of Jesus Christ? If you read the New Testament carefully, how is it built? Right? How is it grow? How is it designed to, um, you know, to to spread throughout the world, go into all the world and preach the gospel? Right? Matthew chapter twenty eight, Acts chapter one. Let me tell you what it's not. The plan of the church. Um, to build the church, what it's not. It's not done through the expression of political power, right? I mean, sometimes we get fooled into thinking that, right? That how, how, we, how we advance the Christian gospel is we do it through legislation, right? But I don't see that at all in the New Testament. It's not advanced through the expression of political power, nor is it advanced through cultural accommodation. Sometimes we think, well, what we need to do is we need to make the church attractive, To people outside of the world and what's working in the culture, let's bring it into the church. Right? Now that's not all bad, but I mean, as a strategy, right, that doesn't work either. How the strategy that's laid out, the plan that to build the church in the New Testament is set in these few verses and illustrated in many other places, it's relationships. That's what it is. Watch verse six. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt. Right? It's a conversation. Saying, "Listen, you want to reach the world for Christ? The grand strategy is it's developing new relationships, and to have a conversation is it's not a give a presentation. Let your presentation be full of grace and salted and seasoned with salt. No, it's your conversation." which means there's as much listening going on as there is talking. There's as much giving as there is uh, receiving, okay? That's what we're talking about. It's all about relationships in with other people. I would say this to you, that most people are not looking for answers to questions, okay? Some are, but often we think that's what it means to be lost. You need an answer. So, what we do as Christians, we're often bringing answers. Right? It's not a conversation. And many times, we're answering questions that people aren't asking. I would suggest to you that people aren't looking for answers to questions. They're looking for the demonstration of the gospel at work in somebody's life. Right? They're looking for someone to say, "Listen, um, I was blind." But now I see, right? I saw this documentary recently of John Newton, if you know the name John Newton, famous British pastor in the... 18th and 19th centuries he wrote the hymn amazing grace he did a lot more than that but he's known for that as well but this documentary was it was kind of like a scholarly thing and it was people talking about his life and they said after all these amazing accomplishments he ended up pastoring this church in London and all these important people that you know uh, were around in his day um, crossed through his path and he was almost a in the best way of the term kind of a, a Christian um, you know a, a man of importance that people knew and would Wilberforce, the great man who, who um, helped bring about uh, the turning over of slavery um, in, in the UK that led to the American uh, uh, work years, years later, um, was a disciple of his. And he just this man of tremendous import. And he said at the end of his life, he was blind, he couldn't see anymore, his health was very shaky. And he said this famous person, came, or not famous person, this uh, journalist came in and sat down with him and was talking to him. And it was near the very close of his day. He couldn't see. He, he was very sick. And they said, Mr. Uh, 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 Newton, he said, um, he said, do you remember? And he went on to talk about um, you know, this man coming. And, and the day that the president came to church, he said, do you remember? He was going through all these sort of down memory lane. And he said, Newton interrupted him. And the scholar said, as far as I know, these were Newton's last words. He said, sir, at this age in my life, I only remember two things. He said, number one, that I, John Newton, am a great sinner. And two, that Jesus Christ is a great savior. And they said, those are the last words that he said, right? And I thought, how brilliant, right? This is really what it means to share the gospel. You know, what it means, people aren't looking for answers. They're looking for you and me to tell the truth about ourselves. I can only do that in a conversation, not in a presentation. Such that the grace of God is magnified in my life. So that I can say to you in so many words, listen, I'm a sinner. I was lost. I, Rob Catalani, am a great sinner. Here's the unique ways that God has done a work in my life. But what I want to tell you is, I have a great savior, right? And we do that in a conversation. Two ways are mentioned very briefly in this passage, right? How do I invest in new relationships? Number one, it says, let your conversation always be full of grace, okay? Let it be full of grace. And it's what I just said. I think it means this. It means that I'm gonna, I want to make sure that people understand as I share with them, this isn't about me. It's about what God has done in me. In fact, look at this verse of scripture with me. Paul answers this question. 2 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter four, verse one through seven. Paul's answering the same question about his own life, but he's, he's, he's talking to this church about what it means to share the message of the gospel with others. Therefore, since we have, through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. Make it palatable for people. Make it say something that it doesn't say. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend, slow down, ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, It is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake." For God who said, he's quoting now Genesis chapter uh, 1, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. It's an old uh, way of talking about, you know, Imperfect humanity, right? We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us, right? This is what it means to really invest in a relationship to help someone else see the message of the gospel. My my conversation is full of grace, which means, listen, I want to be honest with you. I need to tell the truth about myself, right? Right? Such, in such a way that shows you that magnifies the grace of God in my life? Do you do that? Do I do that? Because people are not looking for answers, I don't think right, to questions, or like a math problem. They're looking for a demonstration of the gospel. Has God, what does it mean? I want to know how it is, Megan, that you've experienced God's forgiveness. What does that mean? How is that exactly taking place in your life? Because as I see God's grace manifest in, in your life, I can believe that it might be manifest in mine, right? Be always ready, watch this, so that you may know how to answer everyone. It implies that people are asking you questions. Peter said this, be always ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope that lies within you, right? And do it with gentleness and respect. That's, that, that's what it means to be a, but see, no one's gonna ask you any questions about the hope that lies within you if you aren't in a relationship with them, right? You know, the, the gospel is not telling people what's wrong with them, It's being honest about what God has done in our own lives and being willing to to share how God has done a work in your life. Changed you. I, John Newton, am a great sinner. (laughs) But Jesus Christ is a great Savior. You know, as a pastor... Um, you know, maybe this happens too depending on how people know you and experience you at your work, but, you know, when you're a pastor, people have a lot of fun with that, right? And, and I get a lot of questions, you know. Some of it's in jest, some of it's true. But you imagine for a minute, what, what would you think would be the, the number one question I would get, let's say from non-Christians in my everyday travels, um, about being a pastor? Take a guess. Anybody, just shout it out. Do you drink? Okay, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's a, that, that, I've had that. Yeah, what else? Why am I a pastor? Okay, yeah, that's a good one. What'd you say, Mike? That was it? Okay, what else? Are you married? Okay, I don't get that much, but yeah, okay. Uh, maybe, no ring. All right, what else? Is heaven real? Is Jesus the only way? Now, be a little more sinister, okay. Or, Are you what? Do you work during the week? I love that. That's probably number two or number three, okay? What do you do for the rest of the week? Let me tell you what it is for sake of time. The number one question I get, some of it's fun, but some of it's real, is who did you vote for in the last presidential election, okay? Did you vote for Donald Trump? Now, that's an interesting question, but here's what I would say about that. The answer to that question, (laughs) yes or no, honestly would not tell you an awful lot about me, nor would it tell you an awful lot about um, my convictions, okay? So here's what I've said to people who asked me that question. I said, if you really want to know, we'll get there. I'm not ashamed or afraid to tell you what I voted on, but here's what I would say to you. What I'm really interested in is, why you asked me that question, right? What is the question behind the question of wanting to know who it is that I voted for? And I want to have a conversation about that. And that's really what I think is going on here, guys. I think we live in a world that's highly um, charged with wrong ideas, we live in a world with a lot of conflict. We've talked about this, a lot of spiritual darkness. In Christianity, it's as old as the Bible itself. There's a lot of persecution. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of opposition. And there's a lot of fear and anxiety out there for people about what it means to have a relationship with God. And what they need is not answers. They certainly don't need uh, you know slogans. What they need is people who are willing to have a conversation And to be full of grace in that conversation and seasoned with salt. You also want to tell some truth because the word of God is is, is, um, objective and it's real. To both be full of grace but also seasoned with salt so that you can answer people's real questions. And I think if you and I can do that more, if we're willing to have new relationships and be willing to honestly share what's going on in our lives, what God has done for us, right? I am Rob Catalani, and I am a great sinner. But I have a great Savior. And let me tell you what Jesus Christ has done in my life, not only many years ago, but what he's doing today. And I think if we can do that, see, all of the Christian life, my last point, right? my challenge, invite your friends, okay? All of the Christian life, I would say to you, is an invitation, right? If you read the Bible carefully, come, come, um, come and see, Jesus says to his first disciples. Then pick up your cross and follow me. You know, all of the gospel, all of the Christian life, I should say, is an invitation. God is not going to put a rope around anybody's neck either to become a Christian or to become a more committed Christian. It's an invitation. But the first invitation To those who are outsiders, I would say in some ways is the most difficult because people outside of a relationship with Christ have a lot of fears and anxieties about what it really means to be a Christian. There's a lot of resistance. There's a lot of bad information out there. Who did you vote for in the last election? That's the most important question you want to ask me, right? That tells me something about what's going on. And the best way for people to get past those fears and past those anxieties is to hear a little bit more about what God is doing in your life, right? We need to pray for opportunities. Let me tell you, God is already at work in the people in your community, in the members of your family who are not Christians, in um, your offices, in your sports teams. God is already at work. He knows the hearts and minds of people Paul, hang on, on, stay where you are because I have many more people in this city. And he's saying, listen, all I want you to do is invest in relationships, right? Have a conversation and make sure it's full of grace. Our job is not to tell people what's wrong with them, is to tell them to be more honest about what God has done in my life and season it with salt, speak the truth in love so that we might answer the real question behind the question, and see people like Megan all around us come to know Christ as their Savior. So what can you do? Amen? What can you do? Guys, I don't think you need a list from me. You know, what does it mean to invite your new friends? Okay? It means start a conversation. It means invite somebody over for dinner. It means um, hang out a little bit longer at the end of a sports uh, thing. It means you know, um, be open to the people around you and be open to sharing more of what's going on in your life, right? Um, And and use your home and use your life as the basis for sharing with other people. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning and I pray for all of us wherever we are here this morning in our own um, journey that we might see the world through the lens of a God, knowing that a God that we love and that we serve is already active, that we might see the world with the confidence to know that you are everywhere present. You are in this room. You are in our, 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 our neighborhoods, our offices, Lord, our classrooms. You're already present. You are not very far from every one of us, the Bible says, Help us, Lord, with that conviction to pray for opportunities, for open doors in our lives that we might begin to um, move in confidence to hisa- sense your leading and to invest in new relationships where you have planted us today and that we might begin to make invitations of many, many kinds to help people move closer to knowing the love and the grace of Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen.